Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, this is Sunday morning in the Word of God where we study the Word of God systematically, and I'm delighted to be here and to be able to share with you the Word of the Lord. We're going to start a new division in our continual teaching, The Overcoming Way. Last week, I attempted to belch it out with half a voice, but I think I have a stronger voice today um, to really kind of uh, surmise and systematically go through the Word of God. So what I tell people is this. Go with me through the Word of God with the Bible handy. I use generally the King James Version of the Bible. And then also um, um, have a notebook handy because I guarantee you that if you take notes and you follow with me, me and you listen, um, you will have more of a, a resource center of the Word of God in one lesson or three lessons, for that matter, than you would an entire month or three months in, in a typical church service because we go through the Word um, strategically. Um, amen? All right, now. Um, let's pray and not delay. Usually we have a song, but I said let's let's just we we heard a song um, that we ministered on here several times, but um, I wanted to go right into the word today. All right, let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made. We rejoice in our glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. Um, for it is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do mean and depend on that Holy Spirit to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought as I make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I say, have your way. Do what only you can do. And Lord, the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Father, and everything that shall be accomplished and revealed, you be glorified. For it is in the name of Jesus that we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We are in Division 6 of the Overcoming Way, and I've entitled this particular lesson and the lessons in the success of portions of this teaching, I've coined it under advancing, and I want to make sure I have this correctly, advancing through overcoming theology, embracing God's big picture, advancing through overcoming theology, embracing God's big picture. How many of you know God has a plan? He has a purpose, and in those purposes, unlocks promises and provisions and potentials and power. And if we would if we would align ourselves to to our predestined path, predestination is a revelation that God has placed us in the plan of humanity, in the plan of existence, in the plan beforehand, purposed in him, uh, he placed us as a priority in some aspect of this big picture that he has, and that us aligning to those big picture ideals and ideas will 
create a reality within our heart and a reality within our world that causes us to see what we believe as reality. Um, years ago, there was a teaching that I taught on, and, and I knew it uh, It would be like a five or seven prophetic year uh, uh, declaration. Sometimes when you teach, you teach it out of faith, okay? And what I mean by this, and you'll understand this as you, as you experience the Lord, as you sense the call of God on your life to, um, to go into ministry, you'll sense that some things you will declare as an ideal. People preachers don't like to say this because they like to say, you know, I, everything that I'm preaching I experience. Some things you, you preach you don't experience. And some things you desire to experience and some things you've only had a glimpse of, you know, if we could be honest. And, you know, the older I get in ministry and the older I get in the things of God, the more transparent I am about the state of certainty and uncertainty. There was two teachers, but one teacher that I knew about five years ago now, I taught a teaching on the great manifesto, and I think there's maybe one or two parts that are on the archive here. Um, but I, I knew uh, about the great manifesto. The purpose of it was to uh, provoke our attention on God being able to step in on the scene and create a, a unprecedented um, impression on us that we know we can give God all the glory, the honor, and the praise because only God could do it. <clears throat> and when saying that, I knew at the time that I didn't have the um, the evidence necessarily uh, to to back up the declaration other than the faith in my heart or the conviction of, of beliefs in my heart that things would come to pass. Glory to God. Hallelujah. See, we have have so uh, dehumanized the faith experience that we really don't have the adventurous ambition. Oh, Lord, because, you know, I always tell you that ambition can be a cancer to the anointing when you're trying to advance in the ways of God. But there's got to be some muster in you that desires to see life leap off the pages of Scripture and affect your life so that you're not professing and confessing and believing something that you question yourself. And so that's what that teaching challenged me on years ago. And from there, um, I received several spiritual downloads or what we call deposits of divine insight and revelation and, and that provoked uh, evidence for faith. You remember that esteem in my spiritual character, my inward stability, right? I had enlightenment from the Holy Spirit, right? And I had exposure with with the presence of the Holy Spirit to light and truth. Those areas are are are, are concepts that we're going to review in the overcoming theology. See, somebody can preach to you, yeah, victory to overcome sin, overcoming the world, and overcoming the faith will always remain an ideology if we don't change our theology, if we don't change 
Uh, and then the other teaching that I wanted to share with you, that was that one, of course, I did a preach a message maybe about 12 years ago called Clearing Up Uncertainty. I don't think we have that one on the archives, but I'll find it and I'll resurrect it one day. But it was an older teaching. And I talked about how, you know, the, the young man uh, that went to uh, the unit that went to um, Philip, the deacon, and um, um, asked questions. Uh, he was Ethiopian, come from a different culture, but he had a high regard for the scripture and wanted to understand um, understanding of the scripture. <laughs> and from those questions led him to an experience with the Holy Spirit that could not be denied. Not only did it affect him because he was bold enough to ask the question, it also affected Philip. And I think Philip was the evangelist, but I know he was a deacon. But we see a translation in that scripture, and a translation is not a version in, in the Bible which we read, but a translation where he was spiritually catapulted from one area to another area and continued. He started in one place, but at, after the baptism, after the experience, somehow time changed and, and he catapulted. So we see a spiritual phenomenon that happened in the New Testament was a miraculous act, was where you start in one place, but you're 90 miles away in another place. You find yourself in another place, and God spent up time and spent up his location, and he was able to minister to a whole other area after he left that experience, coming out of the waters uh, with um, the eunuch. So we see a, another uh, um, dynamic in God, that God can speak time, that God can step in on the scene of reality, take us places we've never been before, expedite short times to create long-lasting effects in our hearts, in our lives, to make the intangible tangible. But it starts with how we approach and understand who God is. And so if that is not uh, provoked, your thought, your 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 um, core set of beliefs and convictions are not targeted as a means to really experience God, then everything else will 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 um, be left in the loop, and then you'll just be going through a bunch of motions, never seeing the effect of the overcome. What a lot of people they don't believe that they can overcome sin. A lot of people don't. They think because you know we just have flesh, we can't overcome the areas of life. That's the truth. People don't believe that we can overcome the world because we're in the world. Jesus says, although you're in the world, you're not of the world. Come out from among them, be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. So those 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 scriptures, really we hold them as, as a stride. You know, people say all the time, I'll try. There's no such thing as trying. You either do it or you don't. If you do it and you fail, you did it and you failed. If you did it and you succeeded, you succeeded. But you either do it or you don't. But people use the word trying to make excuses for having a desire to do something but don't actually do it. So it's not really being done. It's just a thought. So that's why I said there's really no such thing as trying. Trying is an illusion. But in, in the overcoming way, we, we address how we think because our reality is defined by our thought life because it's what motivates us to do. And we know that the, that the God of the Bible involves, 
involves himself in the thinking, he does things to get people's attention. I love the study uh, uh, with children that I'm studying on. Study is, is parables. Parables is a short story that leads to a significant point. Um, it, 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 it tappers around Jesus knowing that there was communication deficits among the culture in which he was trying to describe and depict the, the directives of God over his life. And in order to do that, he knew that the people wouldn't understand him just saying it straight out. So he used alliterations and um, um, allegories and, and uh, metaphors and short stories, you know, scenarios that were common to that day to paint a picture in their eyes that let them know, hey, this is what's taking place in your language, commonality, so they can have some form of basis or idea. It might have taken them time to unravel to get what he was saying, but at the end of the day, it led to a point. It led to a point where they could meet each other's minds and at least have the, the gist of the uh, of the the pictures in which God wanted them to have. Perhaps you, you remember the parable of the rich young fool who has stored up all the good and the treasures that he considered wealthy, and that that very night his soul would be required so everything he worked for was wasted because he put it in the barn and never distributed for it to create a legacy and lost his life. Or the, uh, the, the lost coin where the lady is in the house looking for a precious coin and she sweeps the floor and as she sweeps the floor, she finds the lost coin because of the value of it. She did whatever it took to, to make certain that she found the object. See, those, those areas, or, or what about the parable of the prodigal? Sorry, the son with the distributing of wealth of the two young men and how they achieved um, you know, reconciliation with their father and how they missed out on reconciliation or, or the reality of the provisions that they had. Or, or perhaps the, uh, the parable of the talents, which unlocks wealth principles and how to govern your money and how to, to know that you've been entrusted with the factors of stewardship. Those types of scenarios help paint a point Pay the point so that way, if somehow I can get the message to various audiences, but it all it leads to a significant point. And what Jesus did in communicating to the masses, the Holy Spirit has been set as a guide to do instinctively so that we can instinctively be aware of what God is doing in the scheme of time and in the scheme of our lives. So we've affirmed our pursuit of knowing God more intimately so we can serve him more faithfully. This is what I want to do in this teaching. We hinted on, we, we started with the introduction of theology. We talked about how theology, it answers, offers, awakens, and adds to and advances us in the, the, the nature of God. It reforms how we go about approaching God, how he affects our life. We search for the meaning, considering deeper and wider ranges of beliefs and, and matters of importance. It gives us a prophetic awareness, articulating experiences and encounters with God's power, presence, and perspective in, time, in a time context. And so 
It adds knowledge to the practice of faith, giving attention to how we display what we believe and how others react to what we believe. So we include not only the effect of in our theology of how we express and experience God, but how it also affects how we express and experience um, other people in the light of God. So um, it's a perpetual pursuit of knowing God more faithfully so that we can, we knowing him more intimately, intimately associating. That's, you know, when we talk about the knowledge and the revelation of God or the, the understanding and wisdom and um, um, in life that we get from God, we, we know that, um, that that is supposed to develop something inward that provokes us to, to go beyond and above what we believe and think. So we told, we told you in before that theology is not going to seminary. Theology is not a self-pursuit of, under, uh, is a, it is a self-pursuit of understanding, first, to develop the knowledge of God and the nature of God and to find the disciplines and the practices of faith. We said that theology is not theoretical. Theology not only explores ideas about God, but it defines how we best adapt what we've discovered in him practically. So I'm not just coming up with a big word. I'm trying to come up with a concept that you need to grasp on, that somewhere in your experience with God, you should get some understanding, you should get some wisdom, and you should get some knowledge as to how it relates to your life and how to go about it practically, step by step. And most people don't do another investigation on how do I exemplify what I believe Incompetence, so that way I'm not always slipping and contradicting um, my conduct, my commitments, and my convictions before other people. So when people look at me, they say, your life with God makes me want to live better. Your life with God makes me want to do right. Your life with God. That's why he says, let your light shine, Matthew 5, 16, my favorite verse. Matthew, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Why does he say that? Because he wants you to have an experience, an undeniable effect of, of, of exploits and accomplishments, glory from God, that, that, um, um, that makes what you do and why you do it unmistakable and undeniable, not for the sake of just showing other people what you do on behalf of God, but so that God can 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 perform exploits through and in you that that cause the quality of your life to elevate to the standards of His heart and His passion and His pursuits. We are created in His image. The creative order of humanity is to reflect the supreme and the sovereign nature of God. We are to reflect what we believe. But many times we don't because theology uh, uh, is, is not necessary to be a Christian. People have, have, have embraced uh, of the insult that was inserted to confine people to the idea of Christ, but not to the power of Christ. So what's happening is historically the word Christian was used to mock those who followed after what they didn't know, which was Christ. 
They saw Christ was Jesus' last name, so that's why they say Christian, followers of Christ. But we learn to live is Christ. To live is Christ. So Christ is our reality versus our following. You get what I'm saying? You can be associated with someone and never be that person associated that you're associated with. It's the difference between being the security of the president versus being the president himself. There's two different worlds, two different events, two different contexts, two different relationships. One really exists. The other one actually has the power and the influence and the effect. So so that's old, um, old, old information that we started with. But in this division, I want to go and expand uh, expand the 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 through motivation of affecting uh, or through motivational preaching of embracing God's big picture because God has a bigger picture, you know, and, and you can live your life in such a way that you become spiritually narcissistic, where it's all about you. Everything you do is just about you, and of course, because we live in a world that's me, 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 me. You will miss out on the big. See, it's amazing. I love those when you preachers. You unfortunately you go to more funerals than usual because people die. You marry, <laughs> you marry them, you bury them, you baptize them, right? So, so you see a lot more than what other people do. So you see the the people that really have developed influence and takes too long to really finish their their funerals because there's so much you can say. And there's really not enough time for everybody to say everything. And then there are those funerals where you have people that barely go to church, barely connect with the community, barely can uh, contribute to society. They barely care for their children. And, and you know, you go to their funeral, and it's always generally some tragedy or in some form. Even if it wasn't sickness, a lot of people got from sicknesses. But it, I mean, even when somebody has died from the sickness and they contributed so much, and they've been resilient beyond the attack. It just seemed like they just, just the effect of the, of, the, of the camaraderie that comes and the communion that comes from the closure of their life just seems to be um, different from someone that's really never tapped into that reality, that effect where the manifest presence and the power of God works for them. And then you got the delusional folks that seem like they're historical figures that are just capitalizing off of secular, you know, they've lived so much for the world, they die, you know, generally tragic, horrific deaths, you know, uh, but they, they because they, they, they've had a place in history, you know, we appreciate them, but even that's not the same because you see, the potential of what it would be like if they were still alive. You know, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that I could go, but there, there are there are observances to realities in, in the settings, and the preachers can identify with this more because we're often in the in the in the in the crosses of life and death and choices and and consequences and and. Uh, and, and believe it or not, it's not just preachers, it's really all of us, but we haven't taken enough time to really invest into what we say uh, we really believe, what we say we really achieve. And, you know, if, if what you believe and achieve and, 
and, and characterized as your identity don't come out uh, uh, quite with, with, with proof, then what you produce is an illusion versus a, a reality. Okay, so I'm trying to lead up to that. There are certain revelations that you should have that provoke manifestation. It is a revelation that always provokes manifestation. Manifestation means it becomes reality. Revelation means it's an approach based on some type of ideal idea or ideology that forms a process that causes it to come to pass. You know, so so in in the life in, in life theology, we see that the, the revelation of redemption was what caused a man to have a hope, a blessed assurance, a, a comeback from from sin, uh, from second death, and from so, social death, defamation, and damnation. We saw that it was the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ that caused us uh, to move, live, and have our being, to, 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 to keep a, a licking and keep on ticking. It, it, it was the redemption that made it possible for us, for us to look at tomorrow as another fighting chance to exist in a confidence of something that we didn't have before that we could have today if we did something different from what we did yesterday. It, it is that hope that redemption built. Uh, and then there is the, the, the revelation of righteousness, which is this humanity theology, which, which stressed the fact that that not only did Christ come into the world to, to give us a blessed assurance, but he gave us access to the promises, the plans, and the provisions of God. And not only that, there comes also certainly a, a, a revelation of reconciliation, meaning that not only can you have access and you be accepted because you, you, you've been given rights and privileges, but you have a, 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 a standing with God that produces undeniable, undefiling effect, textual, that if you, if you understand it over and over and over again, you will experience heaven on earth. You will experience fulfillment in life. You will gain answers to your prayers. You will gain life for death. You will gain victory for failure. You will gain mercy for um mercy for faults faults and, and deceits and deceptions. There's a there's a there's an advantage that awakens to a standing that only God can give you because you know in and of yourself you could not achieve that state alone. That's what the righteousness is. So those revelations uh, are what True theology creates a hardcore, ever-expanding uh, God complex that answers, alters, awakens, and adds and advances the believer's approach to living and achieving this word that has been so grossly misunderstood, and that is faith, faith in God, the faith of God. Faith is life because it just those who have been justified or made alive through the acts, sacrificial acts of redemption through Christ, have been glorified to experience a reality. Glorified means await, awaiting reality, awaiting reality of, of God's effect on us through his power, through his plan, through his purposes, through his passion. And all of that combined creates another reality. 
where we can be in the world but not of the world. So that alone gives us a, a, a life of faith, a life of faith, but just to live by faith. But also we understand that faith is a law. See, what excludes us existing beyond our sin? What excludes us from existing beyond our failures? What excludes us not on what we do, but in who we are? And who are we? We are one with God in spirit. We are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in the knowledge of him. And those investments of supernatural endowments on the inside of us, in our hearts by faith, when we grab out, creates a law, an order, a functioning, uh, a system that secures us in eternity, that secures us in the future, that secures our past and keeps it away from us uh, regurgitating and rehearsing those failures, those mistakes, because we look to the hill from which cometh our help. Knowing our help cometh from the Lord, glory to God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the rose of, oh, I felt the old school and all that. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He's the one that makes things light when things are dark. He's the one that causes the gray areas to be made clear. He creates the path that leads to life and godliness. Why? Because, because we have access to him. He's the law of faith and life. We see faith as law, but we also know that faith works by love because God is love. And anybody that's in God dwells in him, and faith causes us to overcome the world. Faith causes us to rise above the circumstances and achieve God's best. Faith causes us to look at things which are not seen, knowing that they will appear because we know where we get them from. We get them from God. So we see faith as law. We see faith as life, but we know faith works by love. And when those things take place in our life, that process that we go about approaching God changes in our very eyes. It changes in our very seeking, our imagination. It changes us because we're not reflecting what we're rehearsing through rhetoric and religious ambition, we're experiencing, we're experiencing, number one, for our first lesson, our concepts that must be embraced to overcome in life theology, we're experiencing enlightenment. Enlightenment. In advancing to overcoming theology, embracing God's picture, the first thing that he does is change how we see things. Change how we see things. Ephesians, let's go Ephesians. I got a few minutes left. Got big concepts that we have to, to go over. And in the introduction to this, I attempted to belch out through a broken voice the delusions of Peter's success when he walked on water. He put himself in Christ in a rock and a hard place, not necessarily Christ, but he put himself in a rock and a hard place by approaching a supernatural reality superficially. You know, he, he said, Lord, if it be you bid me to come, that was the wrong question. 
Jesus could not say no. It was Jesus. Jesus was walking on the water. And the question was posed in such a way that Jesus could not say no because if he said no, he would have been like, well, this is not really you. So they would have thought that was a ghost or a spirit, and Jesus would just have to walk on by them, and they would have never got the effect of the experience. People have applauded people. People have applauded Peter, rather, for going out and walking on the water and achieving somewhat of supernatural stability to be able to get out on the boat in his gut. And so people have taken leaps of faith. You know, they say because, you know, to try to foster, but what we saw in that in that depiction was exactly what's happening in the dilemma of people's theology. They're going out on others' experiences. Jesus has no problem with you experiencing things for yourself to where you know that God is God for you, that he answers the questions for you. Nobody has to do that. You don't have to create an experience to to prove who he is. That was the problem with Peter's walking on the water. He wanted Jesus to prove who he was by by enabling him, him to do or him to do what Jesus was doing at the time, which was walking on water, which was a, was was almost like the concept, you know, back in the day if you went to a good school, they taught you about the concept of self-fulfilling prophecy, where people um, in uh, create experiences to try to, oh, Lord, I, I really don't have time to really teach it like I want to teach it, but um, they try to create scenarios and practices of faith. You know, but in addition to that, um, in, in the delicious of that, Peter used the walking on water experience as a basis to support the notion of God taking on taking on God's perspective and big idea. He didn't do that because he doubted and he sank. And then as the result was, yeah, Jesus saved him. But if Jesus was not if Jesus was not present and he tried to do that again, what would happen? He would say, so he never fully experienced the supernatural. Even though he walked on water with Jesus, Jesus wasn't the only one that walked on water. Peter did walk on water. But he didn't feel the effect, the potential. It's just like the Mount of Transfiguration. They were exposed to a little bit, but they really didn't engage into it because they got asphyxiated on the 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 the, the other de- uh, I shouldn't say deities, but the other uh, symbolic uh, uh, people that were in there, Moses and Elijah. You know, they wanted to build uh, t- uh, tabernacles in the exterior, and what happened? They were pushed out of that experience. So, so in that. The, the the in that in that in that ideology in that in that process of thought thought doubt fears and unbelief it distorted what was actually taking place. You know what I'm saying? At the point of Peter thinking uh, in the water, mm, Lord, I hope the enlightenments of the mind are taking place as I sense them in the spirit. As he was sinking in water, hallelujah, um, hallelujah, as he was sinking in water, he wasn't thinking about the fact that he walked on water, that he existed in the very same way that his Savior was existing in 
and, and of course, Jesus had some reason to be walking on water because there was no reason to, there's no reason to create such a miraculous act in the mind of God without there being a plan. And the plan is not just to show Peter a lesson. It's got to be bigger than that. Of course, it may show us a bigger lesson that um, uh, that we can experience things that supersede natural laws if we have supernatural, uh, supernatural objectives, you know, and objectives that we can apply with. Jesus was so moved and led by the Spirit that his walk was being so refined and being so focused and being so set on achieving God's will created ex- The Bible says there was so much things that he did that there's not enough pages to write down and articulate the, the miracles, the healing, the encounters that Jesus uh, manifested in his life. So we only see a, a, a fragment of course, it's a great preserve of history, but we only see a fragment. That's why he tells us, these works shall you do, and, and greater works than these shall you do. But until that enlightenment takes place in your eyes, then this, this too just becomes just like the Peter effect. All right? Now, enlightenment, of course, deals with perception. And, of course, enlightenment is often considered a secular um, you know, uh, a concept, uh, but, uh, you know, um, I've studied on enlightenment several years, and I always say that I've endeavored to be the father of spiritual enlightenment. But um, but in this case, in the context of this teaching as far as overcoming, that if we're really going to experience what we're saying, overcoming sin, overcoming the world, and overcoming by faith, we're going to have to have a set core beliefs on what we mean by overcoming, but not only what we mean by overcoming, why we believe we we should overcome, for real. Because it will always be the song, we shall overcome someday, deep in my heart, I do believe. We want to get the reality that we have overcome, and we're overcoming by faith. But it will never happen if we don't, have enlightenment, okay? Ephesians, Paul understood this. If the body of Christ was going to experience these great and um, precious promises, which we, we see, he opens it up in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly, in, in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen in him before him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should um, be holy and without blame before him in love. Doesn't that explain faith? Faith is life. Faith is law. Faith is love, right? Now, so this is talking about faith. And then it goes on in verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, where he has made us accepted and in the beloved, right? This is what I've just been preaching to you. In whom we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace, where he abounded toward us with all wisdom and prudence. And he made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasures which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the moment in time and the fullness of time, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both that which is in heaven 
and that which is even in, on earth, even in him, in whom also he have obtained an inheritance, and being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we might that we should be the praise of his glory, which was first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted that he had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in which afterwards that he believed ye have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of, of your faith, do you see how he qualified faith? This is the definition of faith in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? If you want to define faith, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and love in all the saints. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is the elders and the apostles of the church. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of in the knowledge of him. Listen, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye might know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, but is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and that every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So enlightenment here is, is the enlightenment, is the elaborate scheme for mankind to accomplish and manifest God's ultimate will. We become enlightened through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is what we're talking about, embracing God's big picture, enlightenment for the eyes, Ephesians 1 and 10. We've been exposed. So enlightenment, listen, here's the definition of enlightenment, kind of long, but you'll get it. Based on our commentary, amen, and I got one minute. Enlightenment is exposure of the highest perspective in a given matter to experiencing a profound insight that are not normally perceived or recognized which yield substantive results that make the person exposed to the subject matter uh, as a subject matter expert. So when you have an experience with God, you become exposed and enlightened. Now, let me give you some things, and I'll check it out next week. Um, enlightenment does several things. Oh, man, I don't have time. I didn't think I would run out of time. But there are three things. Exposure to light and truth, expanding your biblical worldview in light of Christ, and then it's an evolutionary effect of the sin of life. 